Good morning. Well, what I was saying, I don't know if you could hear me, but I don't even know how to follow some of that up. Um, just really grateful um, to be a part of this service this morning. Uh, the testimony that Sasha was giving just of the work that God is doing all around the world, among us, around us, and we have the opportunity for, to be a part of that, to be a part of the story which we are going to hear more of today, which is that story of Acts, the gospel starting in Jerusalem and going to the very ends of the earth. We're still a part of that story this morning. Uh, it's such a beautiful thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Josiah, and it, it, it's just a profound joy to be with you all, participating in uh, the worship of the God that we love, uh, and now in the study of God's indelible, eternal word this morning. It's, it's my prayer that as we continue in our time this morning, that as we press deeper into the great mysteries and marvels found within this book, that our hearts would be softened by the Spirit to receive the message which He has for us. There's a great bounty in this passage this morning, church, for us. But unless our hearts are still, unless we quiet our minds and allow the Lord to work this morning, uh, we could miss it. I don't want to miss it. Uh, there's a quote that I heard a few weeks ago, uh, Tim Keller gave a devotional, and he was talking about how our culture at large is not a contemplative culture. We're not a culture that sits and listens very often. We're always on the move, on the go. And what he talked about is the message that he was teaching that day. His prayer was that the, the truth of it would press down deep into the very fibers of our souls and there catch fire. That's my prayer this morning, that the truth of this scripture would press down deep within us and there catch fire. The, uh, the passage that we are going to be uh, studying from is found in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. It's page 869 in your pew Bibles, if you want to follow along there. We didn't put it on the screen because, yes, it is quite a long passage. So as, remember all the things I just said about the importance of it. Let's try to focus in our minds now, church. This story is a beautiful one. It doesn't feel long, um, but I'm going to read it uh, at one go as we start. And again, just pray that the Lord would lead us this morning. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And this brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them and through them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to follow the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, listen to this church, brothers, 
You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Paul and to Barnabas as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Would you all join me as we pray? Father in heaven, you sit enthroned eternally. Lord, may your name be exalted this morning above all created things, all distractions, all fears. God, bring your kingdom way and your kingly will among us. We pray that just as it is in heaven, so shall it be among us. Lord, Only from your loving hand can we receive the only food that truly satisfies, the very bread of your word, Lord. Fill us this morning, Father, so that our hungry hearts and minds might be filled to overflowing with your words of life. Lord, show us, remind us of the one true gospel and the easy yoke of Jesus amidst all opposition and fear and false doctrine. Remind us of who you are and of who we are in light of that. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the narrative and the story of the 2017 Eagles. I think most of you are. Um, And I don't know if it's because of how good the Eagles have been playing this year or if if it's more because of how uh, just that story always comes to mind for me. It's very dear to me. That picture, I think, still brings me to tears. My brother and I wept when they won the Super Bowl. And that story came to mind as I was preparing for this sermon this week as a way to sort of articulate the context that we're stepping into here. I don't know if you remember, but it felt like the 2017 Eagles were a team of destiny. 
Nothing could stop them. It wasn't the opposition and all their schemes and plans to defend them. It wasn't even the rash of injuries that overtook them, culminating in the the injury of their star quarterback at the end of the season. It wasn't even Tom Brady throwing for 500 yards in the Super Bowl. Nothing. Nothing could stop them. And after they won, I remember as fans, we were on cloud nine. We were just like, nothing's going to stop us. We're going to be a dynasty. (laughs) Well, it pains me to say, but we did not become a dynasty. And the things which we had seen go so well began to unravel so quickly. And shortly later, we had a four-win season. What went wrong? What possibly could have taken down a team that wasn't stopped by the opposing defenses, that wasn't stopped by all the injuries, that wasn't stopped even by Tom Brady himself? It was the attack that came from within, within the walls of the locker room. Disagreements began, arguments, gossip, fear, and what was so beautiful at one point to an Eagles fan began to crumble before us. Now, stick with me here, but I do think that this is a similar context in which we are stepping into in this story in Acts chapter 15. The church up until this point has gone from a small group of believers in an upper room with one mission by Christ to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit's inspiration and guidance And we saw how that gospel went from Jerusalem to 3,000 in a single day at Pentecost to exploding out to Judea and Samaria and now to the ends of the earth. And we see how nothing could seem to stop it. Not persecutions, not stonings, not uh, executions, not imprisonments. There was nothing that seemed to stop or stand in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, as we see, uh, it seems the devil takes a different tact. It's not working. And now I'm not saying he stops with his attempts to persecute, but now he, he begins a new tactic. He starts the dissension from within the walls of the church. And we see the rise of a different gospel. We know up until this point, the church has been, again, exploding among the Jews. But what first began as a trickle through the household of Cornelius and the mission that Peter had to them of laying on of hands and receiving of the Spirit, having their Gentile Pentecost, now has become a torrent. What was a, once a trickle has become a torrent. The Gentiles are coming in in droves, one after the other after the other, receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ and being changed. But this is a recipe for conflict. And we'll see why here in a minute. What I want to do as we go, and I know that we don't have a ton of time this morning, so I want to move swiftly. When we have a large chunk of scripture like this, 21 verses, the best thing we can do is to kind of block it out in sections. So if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, I won't be offended. But if you are taking notes, I've blocked it out into three separate parts. Verses one through five, I'm calling the rise of a different gospel. Verses 6 through 18, the defense of the one true gospel. And lastly, 
19 through 21, the call in light of this gospel. That's just a helpful way to kind of block it out in your notes if you're following along. So, verses 1 through 5, let's start there. We see, again, all this context that I've just laid out, right? The church is going out through the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. Now Gentiles as well as Jews are entering into the family of God through grace. But we see in verse 1, now this rise of this different gospel coming out. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, the Christians, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Strong words. Them's fighting words. And we see immediately the response of the Paul, of Paul and Barnabas here is not delayed. It's not hesitant. It's immediate. They step into action. Sharp debate and dissension. Why? Because this is contrary to the very fiber of what they're teaching. You don't believe me? Go to Acts chapter 13 verse 39. Listen to the words of Paul speaking from the rooftops figuratively in the synagogue, proclaiming for all to hear this message. And by him, Acts chapter 13, verse 39, by him, meaning Christ, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Two chapters before, in Iconium and Lystra, preaching this message to all who would hear, not by the law of Moses. It's going to free you from all the things that that never could. And yet we hear this contrary, this other gospel, this different gospel. I'm getting that phrase, that different gospel from Galatians. If you are wanting to continue to study this passage in your own time, a great thing, a great thing to do is actually to read the book of Galatians alongside it. It's a great commentary on this issue. Um, Paul is dealing just with this issue as he goes along. But Paul, and here's a, just a little bit of a glimpse into Paul's mindset. In, in, first Galat- in Galatians 1, 6 through 7, Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay. So we see Paul and Barnabas, they're not kind of disagreeing. They're not kind of like, well, technical. No. They are coming in sharp debate and dissension. They are coming up against this different gospel. And right away, the church sends out Paul and Barnabas back to the scene of the crime, back to Jerusalem, where it all began to be a part of the first Jerusalem council. This was a serious matter and one which they did not take lightly. Before we dive into the the meat of the passage in 6 through 18, I want to ask a question, which maybe some of you are asking, maybe you're not. Where did this come from? Where, if, if, if the message being preached by Paul and by Barnabas is so loudly in opposition to this. If a message which they've received from Christ from the beginning is not through works of the law, but through Christ, where is this other gospel coming from? I believe the roots of it are, are, there's two. We need to get into the minds of a Jewish person for a minute. It's hard as 
as uh, modern day people to get our minds into the right frame of reference to understand the context to which this passage takes a part of. But to be a Jewish person meant two primary things. One, your value, your identity was wrapped up in how well you followed Torah, the law of Moses. And by the time that Jesus came, that law had grown and ballooned to such a, that it actually was about over 600, well over 600 different rules and regulations for the Jewish people to follow. Guess what? You can't follow that. And so they had these beautiful days of atonement that the Lord had built in for them to come and to confess their sin and be healed and all this stuff. But it was a broken system, not because of God, but because of the brokenness of man. However, they were still clinging to those laws, to that old way. By the time Jesus came, they were utterly enslaved to the mindset of earning God's approval through works. They were obsessed. There was 24 chapters in one of their holy books, one of their rabbinic books, dedicated just to how not to break the Sabbath. 24 chapters. It's down to the very core of who they are. And secondly, to be Jewish meant to be not only devoted to the law of Moses, but to be separate from the world. And that has its roots all the way back when the, when the people of God, the Israelites were nomadic and they were coming into the land that was promised in Canaan. And they were called not to mix with the Canaanites, but to remain apart and holy. Now they didn't do that well at all in their history. And time after time, they would return and mix and worship other gods and other idols. And so now in this context, they're so preoccupied with not even looking at a Gentile. Now imagine those two things in, the, in light of you've received the gospel. Great. Your Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. All the signs and wonders you're buying in. Now all of a sudden, the dirty Gentiles from across the street are sitting next to you in the synagogue. Oh boy. Now all of a sudden, that dude you know lives a debauched lifestyle, totally different from what you and how you live. He's not pure. I can't sit next to him. Now it's, it's one, and you're okay. You're going to keep your peace. You're going to be quiet. But now all of a sudden, the, the woman from across the street who has, three, has had three husbands, now she's sitting on your left. And now behind you and in front of you are these people that not only are completely different from you, have had different values, different ways of looking at life. They look different. They smell different. They act different. But now you're called to be one with them? Not so fast. I believe this is the root which is rising up, again, I believe through the enemy's prodding and poking to begin this conflict from within the walls of the church. What they are feeling is, no, 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 no. You've got to become, become one of us before you can become one of his. You've got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. That's what that is. The, the desire to be circumcised, they must be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. I'm not going to get into anatomically what circumcision is, but I will tell you, that circumcision was a rite of passage into becoming Jewish, bringing yourself in under the law of Moses, saying, I am a Jew, I will follow the laws of the God of Jacob. So this call, again, it's a salvific, that's a fancy word, but it concerns salvation. They're, they were saying, they are preaching that unless you have done these things, you cannot be saved. Okay, we're moving on. The defense of the one true gospel. 
we see now the seriousness of which they've taken this. They, they have gathered around in the council, unprecedented up until this point, to defend the gospel. And we see that this false gospel has reached the council, the very heart of Jerusalem, before even the apostles Paul and Barnabas too. It's reached, it's got, it has, you know, bad news has swift feet and it's reached ahead of them. And we see that in the, even in the very council, there's men standing up saying, wait a minute, no, they need to be made to follow the law. But praise be to God for men like Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, and James. Peter's defense is a beautiful one. As we read earlier, we see he speaks the words brothers, trying to make sure we're all one here. You know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about Acts chapter 10, right? When God gave him a vision and said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Peter was stuck in the same lie shortly. This is not something that's alien to Peter. He knew this struggle, but God had healed him from it. And he went to the household of Cornelius and laid hands on him and he received the spirit. And that's what he's referring to here. He talks about how he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by the law, having cleansed their hearts by circumcision, by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting to test God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. Look at the response. And all the assembly fell silent. Powerful impact of Peter's words. All the assembly fell silent. Peter's saying to them, that yoke that you're trying to put back on their necks, that's the yoke that Jesus came to break. Matthew 11 his yoke is easy. His burden is light. This is not the yoke which we have come to bring. A powerful defense of the one true gospel by advocating and witnessing to the fact that the presence of God came and was among the Gentiles, even as they were among the Jews. So God's presence is witnessing to the Gentiles. Now we step on to the second witnesses or defenders the lawyers of the gospel. We see Paul and Barnabas speak up. It's funny. Anytime, it seems like anytime there's silence, Paul and Barnabas are like, let me tell you about what God's doing. Like they've done it like three or four times already. They can't hold it in. What God is doing among them, they can't even contain themselves. And once again, it gets silent for a second by Peter just kind of like quieting the crowd. Now immediately they jump in with what God is doing. So first we see Peter witnessing to the presence of God in the Gentiles. Now we see Paul and Barnabas witnessing to the power of God working on behalf of the Gentiles. He's saying, listen, just as he's working in, in power and majesty among you to further his gospel, he's working among them. Just as his presence, Holy Spirit presence, has come upon us at Pentecost, he came upon them. Who are you to place on the next of those whom God has called a yoke that no man can bear. And lastly, we have the words of James 
brother of Jesus. This is not James the Apostle. Some of you who've been following closely might be like, wait a minute, I thought he got executed. He did get executed. This isn't James the Apostle, not James and John James. This is James, brother of Jesus, who has now apparently received Jesus as his savior and is now serving as a prominent leader in the Jerusalem church, possibly even presiding over this council. When you have the last words, usually it means you're in charge. It's interesting, not Peter. Peter was an evangelist, an apostle to send out the gospel. It seemed as though James was presiding over this council. James, brother of Jesus. We see his response is in agreement with Peter, in agreement with Paul and Barnabas, but adding to it in how. We've seen, okay, the Gentiles are called by the Lord because we see the presence of the Lord on them and we see the power of the Lord among them. But lastly, we've seen that this has always been God's plan for them. We see him echo the words of the prophet Amos in Amos chapter nine. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Speaking of that, that broken fallen tent, it's talking about how David was the anointed of God, right? to carry the line of the Messiah, and yet his own sin disqualified him. The sin, the inability to follow that law. And yet God is going to restore it through Jesus and his coming. And the purpose of that is so that the Gentiles might come to know. The the, the interesting thing is the Jewish people constantly miss this in their reading of Torah. But Amos 9 is not the only time that God prophesies the day that will come when the gospel will not just be for, the the, the word of the Lord will not just be for the Jewish people, but a day that will come when all the nations will have access to God. That's the point. In the Abrahamic covenant, in the, the covenant given to Abraham, it's there. It says, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Not just the Jewish, not just the Israelites, not just your family. Your family will be the blessing to the world. And we know that through his family came Christ, who blessed the world with his presence. We also know that in other places we hear about how the Israelites were called to be a holy priesthood to the world. Their call was always to join their Messiah in bringing the gospel to the nations. James is reminding them of that. He's saying, this isn't just a newfangled Christian thing. This is a Jewish thing. He gives, when he talks about Peter there, he says, he doesn't just say, Peter told you about how this happened. He says, Simon, why do you think he does that? Giving his Hebrew name. The inclusion. Reminding them, he's a Hebrew brother. This is a Hebrew call. This is a Jewish call. And lastly, as we close, the the last and final part, what I call just the call in light of this gospel. We see really interesting end to the, the way the sermon sort of ends. It's not the way I want it to be. This, these incredible proclamations by these great men of God about the gospel and about how it's not by works, but by faith in Jesus. And then James has to go talking about regulations. We see in the the final 
spot here that James talks about, but therefore, I, first he agrees, we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles to enter the kingdom of God. We should not make it difficult. It's not stand in their way, not be gatekeepers of salvation, but we should write to them. And this is the part that can be confusing for some of us to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the things that have been strangled and from the blood. For the ancient generations, Moses has been taught in every city. For he has been taught in every Sabbath and in the synagogues. We see an ending that can be confusing to us. And I want to just do my best to shed a little bit of light on it. I would argue that in this context right here, James is not giving a salvific command like they were in the beginning when they're saying you can't be saved. He's giving a civil command for the interest of unity. All four of those things, I'm not saying that sexual morality, that that's not a, a moral issue. I am, it obviously is. Our bodies are a temple to the Holy Spirit. But what I am saying is in this case, it's about temple, the, the pagan worship. All pagan rites and rites of worship are included here. The, the, the sacrifice system, right? The drinking of blood, the strangling of animals, and sexual those are Sexual immorality was rampant within the temple worship system. It was almost impossible to take part in it without it. So James is saying, listen, we've received this new gospel or this gospel that has been promised from the beginning. All things are being made new through the Holy Spirit and by the power of his name. Why are you, it seems like some of the Gentiles are still going to their old temples and maybe they're trying to worship Jesus in their old temples. He's saying, don't, don't, we encourage you not to do that. Two reasons. Why would you do that? That's not what God's, God's call you to do. Don't let your freedom let, allow you to take license for sin, right? Paul, as Paul says, but rather press on towards Jesus. So I think there's that involved. It's for the sake of the Gentiles and just getting them out of their old lifestyle. But also, I think primarily it's for the sake of the Jews. As I mentioned, they're sitting in the synagogues and they know these people are, maybe they're coming straight from the their own temple. And they, they're worshiping Jesus the best they know how. But it's the old way for them. Just like it's the old way for the Jews. They're both clinging to their old understandings of God. And it seems like James is encouraging them both. Hey, you guys, Jews, you need to stop gatekeeping salvation. You need to stop realizing. It's not about the Mosaic law anymore. It's about how Jesus has come to complete the law. Leave that old way behind. And now he's, and, and now the Gentiles are probably like, yeah, let us be. And then he, he turns to them and says, now you. You got to leave behind that old way. Those old forms of joy and happiness and worship, things you used to worship, the things of the flesh, blood, sexual immorality, leave those things behind. Come together before the Lord. For the sake of love and unity, leave those things behind a call in light of the gospel. As we close, I have a question, or I guess I have, I'm anticipating a question that some of you might be asking. That question is, great, Joe, you talked about this bounty that's here in the scripture. You told me about all, all the good that's in here. Maybe some of you are tracking with me. Maybe some of you are seeing where I'm headed with this. Maybe some of you are like, I it's a lot of story you're giving me and not a lot of stuff. I, would, I want some stuff to take home, Joe. 
I want to answer that by posing a question to you all. Because how you receive this this morning depends entirely upon how you came in this morning. Did you come in already full on the true gospel of Jesus? Full of grace and peace, joyful and, and truly just rejoicing what the Lord is doing in your life. And he's revealing things that, and you're just trusting in the simple gospel of Jesus that he came to bring. The undefiled, beautiful gospel of faith in Jesus. Maybe you're there, and I want to speak to you first before I get to the second group. If you are that person, and I do believe there are many of you in this room, the message I believe from this passage is simple. Are you using what you have to be advocates and defendants for the one true gospel? Are, you, are your eyes open to your brothers and your sisters around you and the yoke that's upon their neck? Are you like Peter, like James, like Paul and Barnabas, ready to step into action when you see people laboring under a false gospel of works and the approval of man? Or are you standing by and just enjoying it for yourself? Step up. Use what God is giving you, his pouring out of his spirit and love and peace and joy and advocate for the one true gospel among your brothers and sisters. The, the devil has not stopped attacking the one true gospel and he will not until the day that Christ returns. Advocate for the one true gospel. Now I'm speaking to the second group, perhaps the larger group this morning. Did you come in weary, beaten down, low, encumbered by a load of cares? Anxious, fearful, running on empty. I want to ask you a question. Whose yoke are you carrying on your shoulders? Is it the easy yoke of Jesus? Or is it the yoke that no man could bear? Not you, not your parents, not your siblings, not your children. I would say that the Jewish people were carrying that yoke on their own shoulders and therefore using that yoke. When you're heavy, you want to make everyone else feel heavy. When you're heavy, you want, when you have that heavy yoke of man's approval, the need to, to measure up, you've always been that way. The whole world tells you that's how things work. And now you're feeling weighed down. You're, 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 you have no energy. You're weak. And instead of coming to the Lord, and letting him remove that heavy yoke that no man can bear. You're doing your very best to place that heavy yoke on the shoulders of your brothers and your sisters. The message is simple to you. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus has a beautiful message for us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come under the easy yoke of Jesus again. Don't be like the Galatians when Paul in Galatians 3 says to them, "Who you foolish Galatians, why have you abandoned the gospel of which you have been taught? Was it by works of the law that you received the gospel and received the spirit or by faith? Did you receive the gospel? 
because you realize, oh, I can do all these things. I can measure up. I can be the perfect husband. I can be the perfect wife. I can be the best mom in the world. I can be the best sister. I can be the best teacher. I can be the best businessman. I'm really something. That's why God needs me. Or did you receive him because you knew there was no other way but through the faith in Jesus Christ? Return to that knowledge. Let's be advocates for the one true gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which always brings us back to truth. God, I pray that this message would not be one which uh, leaves our minds as soon as it enters, but that they would take root, press down deep in the very fiber of who we are and there catch fire. That we would take the time to learn more and more what it means to be people and children of your easy yoke to find rest for our weariness, to find rest from our toil in the arms of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in your name. Amen. Thank you, guys.